Hello everyone, this is Isabel Cortez and welcome to another episode of Scary Stories for the Soul. I love to tell a good ghost story, a story that will chill you to your bones and make you run down the hall when the lights are off or for fear that there is something or someone behind you. But nothing I could write would ever hold a candle to the real life story I'm about to tell you now. Between 1590 and 1610, a small village nestled in the heart of Little Carpathia was the hunting ground for one of the most prolific serial killers in history. But who would have guessed that the elegant and aristocratic Countess Elizabeth Bathory, the same woman who had cared for the sick and fed the hungry while her husband was away fighting the Ottomans, was a bloodthirsty murderess that was responsible for the death of over 100 young women and girls. And yet, it is true. Elizabeth Bathory, along with a crew of fellow murderers and loyal followers, would spend the better part of 20 years ruthlessly kidnapping, torturing, and murdering young women and girls, earning the fitting nickname of the Blood Countess. Elizabeth Bathory was born on August 7, 1560, to a wealthy and noble family in Naibator in the Kingdom of Hungary. Her father, Baron George VI Bathory, and her mother, Baroness Anna Bathory, were well known in high society and enjoyed many of the splendid things that came along with political power and high breeding. And speaking of high breeding, it is known that Baron George and Baroness Anna were first cousins and this inbreeding caused Elizabeth to be born with epilepsy. She would often suffer such violent seizures that she often had to be pinned down and restrained during her fits. Despite this illness, Elizabeth lived a fulfilling and privileged life, far more privileged than a normal young woman of her social standing. She was given a proper education, akin to a man in her same station, and was fluent in German, Latin, Hungarian, and Greek and had a great understanding of politics and what it took to run a country. Rumors spread around the royal court that the Bathory family had a legacy of practicing witchcraft and were active Satanists, participating in rituals that assured their family's success. Adding fuel to the fire of these rumors were the reports of extreme cruelty in the Bathory household, and while none of that abuse was directed at Elizabeth herself, she often witnessed the unusual and barbaric punishments that her family's officers would impose on servants and criminals. It is said that instead of shying away from the violence or being frightened or disgusted by it, Elizabeth was fascinated by the acts and would ask to stay and witness the horrors firsthand. She openly enjoyed watching the torture and many historians believe that this was her first taste from her macabre pastime. At the age of 10, Elizabeth was placed in an arranged marriage and engaged to 14-year-old Count Ferec Nadazdi. The marriage was more political than anything else, but the pair enjoyed each other's company and became fast companions. The couple married a few months after her 15th birthday in the company of 4,500 guests. 
Much to the surprise of the nobility, Elizabeth refused to give up her surname, pointing out that her family name had stronger political influence and would give her and her now husband more pull in the future. Nadazdi agreed and became Count Ferenc Nadazdi Bathory. As a wedding gift, Ferenc gifted her his household, Castle Kashtis, and the Little Carpathians, along with 17 adjacent villages. Ferenc and Elizabeth didn't get to spend much time together as husband and wife. Ferenc was often away at war, fighting against the Ottomans and defending his land from invaders. This left Elizabeth to fulfill some of the responsibilities that once fell on her husband's shoulders. She often cared for the Hungarian and Slavic people that fell under her rule, providing medical care to those wounded in battle or suffering from illness, defending her husband's estate, and negotiating with the Ottomans when needed. The couple often bonded over their shared interests, though, and one of those was torture. Ferenc was not an innocent bystander to his wife's cruelty. Known as the Black Knight of Hungary, Ferenc would join Elizabeth in the torture of young servant girls that worked in their home. He taught her different methods of torture that he had picked up during his times in war, and even gifted her a clawed glove which she used to scratch the faces of disobedient servant girls. It is said that one of Ferenc and Elizabeth's favorite pastimes was rolling up pieces of oiled up paper and placing it between the toes of servant girls and setting it on fire. Elizabeth's true reign of terror didn't start until the year 1590. Young girls between the ages of 10 to 14 began to go missing in the village surrounding Elizabeth's castle. Many of the abductions occurred in the peasant parts of the village where the Baroness knew that the young girl she kidnapped would not be missed. According to court documents, the atrocities she committed against these innocent souls consisted of multiple beatings, mutilations, and stabbings with needles and cutlery. She would bite the flesh off of the faces and arms of her servant girls, which led to the rumor of the Countess being a cannibal. She would also burn different body parts, such as fingers and other appendages, with hot tongs and then dunk the girls in freezing cold water. One of the more horrifying punishments including covering the girls in honey and then feeding them to live ants. In 1601, an even darker presence entered Kachtis Castle in the form of Anna Darvolia. A rumored witch and practitioner of the dark arts, Anna became fast friends with Elizabeth and soon they kindled a furious friendship that amplified Elizabeth's bloodlust and need to kill. Under the influence of Darvolia, the Countess became more sadistic and imaginative with her torture techniques. Elizabeth had always known how to inflict pain, but with Darvolia's help, she learned how to kill. As peasant girls went missing and their parents began to search for them, that Volia would swoop in and explain to the parents that their daughters were being given a wondrous opportunity. They had been chosen to work at Kashtis Castle and study under the tutelage of the Countess Elizabeth Bathory in the hopes of one day becoming dignified young women. This lie satiated parents for some time, and the deadly duo had the added advantage 
of many parents not coming to look for their daughters at all. On the rare occurrence that someone did cause a fuss and bring the mysterious disappearances to the attention of priests and local clergymen, Tadvolia would explain that the girls died of cholera and were buried in the castle cemetery. She even had the audacity of inviting priests over to the graves to perform last rites. When Elizabeth's husband died in 1604, something inside of her snapped. The Countess had once been so careful and strict in hiding her wrongdoings, and was no longer interested in covering up her crimes. Her abductions became more brazen, often occurring out in the open and in broad daylight. She procured more accomplices, Ilona Jo, her children's previous nurse, Kathleen, the washerwoman in charge of the laundry, and a disfigured teen that she took a liking to named Fisco. Elizabeth would start the initial torture, and if she got bored with the festivities, would fling the girls off of the castle walls to be eaten by ravenous wolves. If she was being especially kind, she would give the kidnapped girl over to her gang, who would continue her misery in the torture chamber that they had constructed in the lower levels of the castle. There, they would break the girl's bones and leave them to be reset in odd angles. They would tear chunks of flesh off of bone and feed it to the hungry dogs that roamed the castle. A never-ending cycle of pain and torment occurred in the bowels of the castle, and no one was around to stop the mayhem. By this point in 1609, Elizabeth Bathory's body count was becoming so high that her accomplices were running out of places to hide the dead bodies that littered the castle grounds. They were buried in large graves, some piled so high with bodies that dogs would often dig up the decaying corpses and feast upon them out in the open. It was also during this time that the rumors of the horrors that were occurring in Kashti's castle were spreading like wildfire. Even though she was a widow, Elizabeth Bathory still had immense political power all on her own, and that power shielded her from the intense investigations and scrutiny that surrounded her. However, the Countess's good luck was running low, and her brazen tactics were escalating. Elizabeth upgraded from kidnapping and torturing peasant girls to kidnapping and torturing the daughters of lower nobility. With Anna Dalvolia's help, the Countess spread a rumor that she was opening up a finishing school specifically designed for the daughters of lesser gentry. She told the parents that at her finishing school, she would take their daughters under her wing and teach them multiple languages, political events, current affairs, and give them the skills they needed to get ahead in high society. Of course, this was all a lie. But what Elizabeth didn't anticipate was the parents of these young girls to actually come looking for them. And that's exactly what happened. One day in 1610, a group of noblemen accompanied by several police and clergymen knocked on Elizabeth's door, demanding to see their daughters. When Elizabeth couldn't produce them, she made up the tale that one of the girls in her finishing school had gone mad. In a fit of insanity, she went on a murder spree and killed all her classmates before committing suicide herself. The lie, of course, convinced no one. In a last-ditch effort to hold Elizabeth Bathory accountable for her actions, 
many of the noblemen appealed directly to King Matthias II to launch a formal investigation into the so-called finishing school. They also wanted to get the truth behind the rumors that had been circulating around Kashti's castle for more than 20 years. When the king finally agreed to investigate the countess and her rumored accomplices, he put Giorgi Thurzo in charge. Thurzo just so happened to be Elizabeth Bathory's late husband's best friend, and Ferenc's last request was for Thurzo to take care of Elizabeth. Although investigating Elizabeth would go against his best friend's dying wish, he couldn't say no to the king and began his tireless work. Giorgi Thurso repeatedly interviewed dozens of witnesses and soon he was inundated with multiple accounts of the Countess's depraved ways. Servants who managed to escape the torture castle spoke of blood-drenched walls endless screams, bodies strewn across the floor, and witnessing Elizabeth drenched in blood on multiple occasions. Reports like these are where the rumor of her supposedly bleeding in the blood of virgins came from, although these were never officially substantiated. It is known, though, that she often drank the blood of her victims. It was believed that those suffering from the falling sickness, a common name for epilepsy, could treat their illness by rubbing the blood of a non-sufferer on their lips during an episode. They could also give the epileptic a mixture of a non-sufferer's blood and a piece of their skull towards the end of an attack to elongate the time between fits. By 1610 in December, Thurzo had collected so many witness accounts of the horrors that Elizabeth Bathory had committed that he had no choice but to arrest her. To save her the embarrassment of an open trial and preserve her noble name, he made the decision to place her under house arrest. But before sentencing her and capturing her, he had to be 100% sure. Thurzo and his men visited Kashti's castle one last time. Upon approaching the castle, they were confronted by a woman babbling spells with the intent to harm them. Many of the men were too frightened to enter, and Thurzo and two others were left to enter the castle on their own. As they had arrived at the castle unannounced, Elizabeth's squad of murderers had no time to hide their evil doings. Upon entering the great hall, Thurzo found the body of a mutilated girl near one of the open doorways. Then, they followed the sounds of screaming to the torture chamber below the castle where they found two of the notorious murder team in the act of torturing a young girl no older than 13. Disgusted and horrified, the men ran back upstairs where they found Elizabeth dining, completely unbothered by the blood-curdling screams that had been emanating from down below. Thurzo had no choice but to immediately arrest her. Throughout her arrest, Elizabeth Bathory insisted on her innocence. She repeatedly tried to frame her accomplices and invoked her family name in an attempt to be released. However, after hearing the testimonies of over 306 people, including the confessions of Ana Darvolia, Ilona Joe, Catalin, and Fisco, Elizabeth's guilt could not be denied. After the grounds of Kashti's castle were thoroughly searched, over 100 cadavers were found. 
the total number of her victims supposedly amounts to 650, according to one of Elizabeth's personal journals that was placed into evidence during her arrest. It reportedly held the name of every single girl that Elizabeth Bathory had personally tortured or killed. That journal has never been found. Elizabeth's social standing might have spared her the embarrassment of a public trial, but it certainly didn't do the same for her accomplices. Ilona Joe, Ana Darvolia, and Fisco were all handed death sentences, although in an attempt to get justice for the pain that their victims endured, a judge ordered them to be tortured before they were put to death. Ilona Joe and Ana Darvolia had their fingers torn off by hot iron tongs before they were tossed into a giant bonfire to be burned alive. Due to Fisco's young age, he was spared this torture, although he was still beheaded and his body was burned. Catalin, the washerwoman, was the only accomplice to not be put to death after multiple surviving victims came forward and testified that she would often sneak them food and water and tend to their wounds when no one was around. Many accounts claimed that she had also been beaten by Elizabeth Bathory after she was caught giving aid to the torture victims on multiple occasions. For her soft-heartedness, Catalin was sentenced to life in prison. Elizabeth Bathory would never truly pay for the horrors that she committed in the name of malice and misery. She was sentenced to a life of imprisonment in her own castle, supposedly to spend the rest of her living days in the very same dungeon that she had used to commit all those atrocities. However, due to her political power and the support of multiple men and women in the high courts, she wasn't actually confined to any dungeon. Although she was never allowed to leave Kachtis castle ever again, she was reportedly free to roam the castle of her own free will. The only people who ever came to visit her were a local priest and Giorgi Thurzo, who were hoping to get her to confess to her crimes and repent before her death. Elizabeth never once confessed to a single thing. She insisted that she was innocent, and as time went on, the isolation and loneliness that consumed her everyday life drove her mad. At one point, Elizabeth was caught praying by a local priest, saying, God, if you exist behind the holy scriptures, then you have abandoned me. In war, hundreds are killed and tortured, and they are left to rot there and feed the vultures. And yet, we glorify our warriors. We give them laurel wreaths and honors, but all I get is torment. I cannot be humiliated this way. Give me an illness that will kill me fast. I cannot do it myself, for I must go to heaven. Amen. The priest then realized that Elizabeth still did not repent for a single one of her crimes and did not see any difference between the lives that she had so ruthlessly stolen and the acts of warriors who slay in battle. Her delusional mind had snapped in a way that was irreversible. Giorgi Thurzo got the intensity of her rancor and madness. Whenever he would visit her, she would hurl insults and obscenities at him while speaking of conspiratorial plots to end her bloodline and take her land. Finally, one day Thurzo exclaimed to Elizabeth Bathory, You, Elizabeth, are a wild animal. You are in the last months of your life. You do not deserve to breathe the air on the earth or see the light of God. 
you shall disappear from this world and shall never appear in it again. As the shadows envelop you, may you find time to repent your bestial life. To which Elizabeth Bathory replied, Do I look like someone who cares about what God thinks? On August 21st, 1614, Elizabeth Bathory was found dead at the age of 54 in her castle. Her family retained all of its lands and her wealth was able to be properly distributed to her remaining children. In the end, she was only caught and punished for her crimes because she began to murder the daughters of nobility. She had been murdering young peasant girls for years without anyone batting an eye and many of these girls' bodies were never recovered. Over the years, many have speculated as to the reason behind Elizabeth Bathory's motive for killing. There are those who believe that she was legitimately framed for the murders of these young girls. Because there was no trial, and there were very few eyewitnesses, some sources believe that she was the victim of planted or false evidence in an attempt to take her lands and her wealth. But if this is the case, then why were her children still able to inherit her vast estate and hold successful political titles in the wake of her death? Her children are proof that her privilege afforded her leniency against all the usual punishments that would be given to any other common criminal. I think that the most common explanation is that Elizabeth Bathory was a bloodthirsty and evil serial killer. Many of us want to see the good in people. We want to rationalize away the reasons why someone would cover a young girl in honey and feed her to ants. We want to believe that someone as beautiful and intelligent as Elizabeth Bathory would not use her intelligence and power to murder innocent young girls. We want to believe that she wasn't evil. She wasn't insane. She didn't enjoy watching young women scream and beg for their lives. She was framed. She was set up by men who were intimidated by her standing in the community as a woman of power. But life doesn't always work out that way. The overwhelming evidence and testimony of those young women and girls who were lucky enough to survive the torment and escape with their lives says that Elizabeth Bathory, above all things, was a serial killer of tremendous degree. She enjoyed murdering and torturing the innocent and earned her name as the Blood Countess. For those of you who are interested in visiting Elizabeth Bathory's infamous Kashtis castle, it sits in ruins in Kashtis, Slovakia. Because the castle is surrounded by rare plants, it has been deemed a national nature reserve and sits under government protection. It is interesting, is it not, to think that the castle of the most prolific female serial killer in history is left to ruin when the castle of Vlad the Impaler, a murderer with a much smaller body count, is still perfectly preserved. Kashtis Castle, much like Dracula's castle, is the site of many horrors, and yet it is only preserved in history because of some plants that just so happen to grow on the grounds. As always, I want to say thank you for taking this haunted journey with me today. As we get closer and closer to Halloween, we will be ramping up our special Haunted Halloween series. 
don't forget to tune in next Friday as we tell the story of Vlad the Impaler, the original Dracula. If you want to hear more myths, legends, and scary stories, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor. Until next time. Mm-hmm.